Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, it's Ailey here with the Circus Boss Podcast, and today uh, we have a nice little treat. I'm going to share a podcast crossover episode where I was honored to be a guest on the Artist Athlete Podcast last month, and we're going to go ahead and broadcast that over here on our podcast in case you didn't get to hear that episode by Shannon McKenna. It was such a treat to be the interviewed, (laughs) to be the guest. Shannon did a great job of keeping me on topic. I especially love all of her additional thoughts that she added before and after the episode, but it's a fun deep dive into a lot of my beliefs and, and the way I think about things. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it on the Artist Athlete podcast, you can listen to it here. So without further ado, I'm just going to roll the tape. This podcast is dedicated to Circus. It's a place for professionals in the industry to share their stories, viewpoints, and information, and a place for outsiders to get a sneak peek into this world. Hey, friends, fans, and foes. I'm Shannon McKenna. I'm the host of the Artist Athlete Podcast and the founder of theartistathlete.com. This episode of the Artist Athlete Podcast, as with every single episode of the Artist Athlete Podcast, is brought to you by none other than my Patreons. I think they're actually called patrons, but I've been calling them Patreons for so long that I'm just going to stick with it. Anyway, I call them Patreons because uh, it's based on a website called Patreon.com. And on Patreon.com slash The Artist Athlete, you can sign up to give small amounts of money each month to help me cover the costs of all the editing and production of this podcast. Yeah, it's super easy, and if you've been listening for a while and have been like, man, I should really do that, now's your time. Go to patreon.com slash theartistathlete, and guess what? I have a new little special thing I'm providing for Patreons only. Every month, I will be doing an hour Zoom call with everyone at every level on the Patreon. So, If you want to talk to me personally or meet other Patreons who are supporting The Artist Athlete, go to patreon.com slash theartistathlete, sign up, and wait until November, and we will meet up and have a time and a half. One more time with that link. How many times have I said this in my life? I don't even know. Patreon.com slash theartistathlete. Yes. So this series, this little uh, collection, this bundle of episodes that I'm doing is about circus in business, circus and business, business and circus, all of those things combined. And this week's guest is an excellent, excellent resource for that. My inspiration for doing this theme, this topic, is that there's this idea out there that artists are bad at business, we're bad at money, and that we should just stick to doing to art, and then business people should just stick to doing business. Um, But if that's the case, um, who do you think is going to make all the money? Who do you think is going to uh, reap all the rewards if the people in charge of the business are not the people who are creating the art? Yes the business people who are not making art. Now, there are fair people in every industry, but I really want to see circus artists flourish in so many different capacities. And I think adding resources about how to manage your business as an artist, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you want to have a studio, whether you want to be an independent gigging artist, whether you want to work for Cirque du Soleil, you have to have a part of you that is business-minded. And I know that when we think of business, we think of it sometimes as boring or frustrating or the opposite of what we should be doing as artists. And that's why my guest today is such an illuminary, and I'm so excited to share our little chat with you all. Um, This episode may sound kind of salesy because this person is launching a whole business around the business of circus, So it is kind of salesy because she's doing her job and promoting her product throughout this entire interview. Uh, But there's a ton of knowledge that you can get for free just by listening. So listen in to my interview uh, with Eileen Reynolds, who is my guest today. 
Eileen Reynolds is a former circus performer, choreographer, director, and event planner, and currently chief inspiration officer for Circus Boss and Animate My Event. Eileen holds a BFA in dance from the New World School of Arts and began her journey full-time performing in the 90s. From modern dance, physical theater, and circus to dinner theater, cruise ships, and the events industry, her work has taken her across North, South, and Central America and the Caribbean. After 15 years of producing award-winning entertainment for clients such as Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Expedia, and more, Eileen and her wife, Brock Rylander, have transitioned to the next phase of their careers through the recent launch of Circus Boss. She started the foundations of Circus Boss when she taught professional development classes as part of the professional preparatory program at the School of Acrobatics and New Circus Arts in Seattle. It's also known as Senka. And she is thrilled to be empowering the next generation of circus artists and innovators through her work with Circus Boss. Here to teach you what to do and what not to do, this is my interview with Eileen Reynolds. Eileen Reynolds, welcome to the Artist Athlete Podcast. Can you start by telling who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm Eileen Reynolds. I use she, her pronouns, and I help circus performers and producers manage their business with ease so they can spend more time on the flying trapeze. What that means is I'm a business coach. She's got a mission (laughs) statement that rhymes. (laughs) And it's also indicative of how cheesy I am. Uh, (laughs) We just finished talking about how much I love Disney World. So anyways, yeah. So I'm a business coach uh, with Circus Boss. But I like to refer to myself as the chief inspiration officer because business can be scary or boring or frustrating. So I like to try to keep focused on the inspiring part of why we're doing all this business stuff, which at the end of the day for circus is to do more performing or more producing, right? To circus more. That's all any of us really want. More circus. So I have two questions and I'll let you answer them in whichever order you want. Why? Is business scary? And how did you become a business coach? Hmm. Well, I became a business coach because business can be scary. Work. Business. I mean, so business can be scary. Why did I say that? It's true. I've personally had, I've had really scary moments in my life because whether it's like the, ooh, I don't know the rules of the game. Like, I'm just an artist. Mm. Like, I want to make cool shit. Uh, I want to do these really big shows. And no one ever taught me how to walk the walk and talk the talk. So, like, it can be scary. You you can feel, like, out of your place, like a fish out of water. Um, It also can be scary because there's, like, liability with what we're doing. And, like, there's danger and there's risk. And you have to make sure you have all your ducks in a row with everything, with insurance and, like, you know, Um, I've, I've personally been threatened with a lawsuit twice and I managed my, my smooth way out of both of them. None of them were to either of my faults, but those were the scariest points of my life as a, as a business owner with doing aerial arts and risky, dangerous things. And I think it's also scary because at least when sometimes I feel like I have to know all the answers if, if I'm a professional, I should know how all of this works. And that can be really lonely mm. because you can find yourself in a situation where it's like, well, I don't actually know the answer here, but I'm the professional business person. So I'm supposed to know the answer. So I guess that like scariness and, and loneliness can be um, tied together there. Can you give an example of one of those times where you thought you should like a problem or a question that you thought you should or someone thought you should know the answer of? Because I totally know what you're talking about. I just want the listeners to be able to like relate or kind of understand a little bit better. It happened all the time when we, so we used to produce events. That was my main world for the last 15 years. And part of what we always did and would coach our other people that were entertainment managers for us is your first job is really to instill confidence in the client. So when you show up, your stage is different every day when you're doing events, everything is different. So you may not know the lighting. You may not know who's running sound. You might not know, you might not, there's so many unknowns, but you have to walk in there with confidence and be like, okay, I'm going to figure these things out. I, I know the minimum needs for my act. I know 
you know, how it needs to be done safely. And I'm just going to communicate through body language and through what I say that I know what I'm doing and then quickly assess it and figure it out. So, okay. For, for one, one example is fire safety. Uh, when you do fire shows, so we had an annual fire permit with, when we were in Seattle, it, they, they did it annually, which was actually brilliant instead of per event. And, <laughs> but whenever you applied for a permit for an event, you're doing a fire performance, they would always send out the fire marshal. And so the fire marshal would come when you're like trying to get ready for your show and want to inspect every single thing. And so you have to appear knowledgeable and they may ask you questions like you have to know your emergency exits. You have to know, uh, you know, all these details that sure. I wrote it in a report when I submitted the document, but I don't have it on the top of my head right now, you know? So just that I did it every day. Every day was about having the answer to something that I really didn't know. Yeah. For me in my business, I feel like sometimes it's around hiring or marketing mm. or even product creation. I do a lot of like eBooks and um, virtual resources for people and knowing you like even deciding like what the thing is that I'm going to make a resource about. You know, sometimes it's obvious everybody needs to learn or wants to learn how to invert on an aerial apparatus. So inversions was really obvious. But even though it seems really obvious in that like retrospect, when you're in the moment and you're making these decisions about like, what is going to sell? What is going to work? How am I going to market it? What's going to, what's the cover going to look like? All of these decisions, um, they, there's no blueprint for any of it. Well, that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's, that, that goes into why we're doing Circus Boss because there was no blueprint yes. when I started out and it, it, I wasted time. I wasted money. I pulled my hair out. I lost sleep at night because not only was I using my creativity to create acts and create these works of art, I had to use my creativity to create a business model because I didn't have anyone guiding me. I went to every single professional development opportunity that existed. I worked with business coaches. I worked with so many, I created my own MBA basically, but mm. none of them spoke to circus. Mm. So every time I worked with a new person, I had to explain what we were doing. And you know, the human brain wants to make reference points. So they tried to like, Oh, is it like Cirque du Soleil? And I'm like, well, sort of, but not really. <laughs> we're doing this thing because blah, blah, blah. And so it just got exhausting of trying to explain myself over and over and over again of what the business was. So anyways, you mentioned the word blueprint and it made me smile because that's exactly one of the things that we're working on is like, what is the blueprint and how do you make it in a way that it can serve many different artists? Because not everyone wants to do things exactly the same. So yeah, I, I love the word blueprint. We're, we're completely in, in progress that. on working on, on stuff like that right now. You, you mentioned you did events for 15 years. Were they always in circus? Like what's your, what's your story? What's your story? Ivy? Oh gosh. My story has so many chapters, so we might have to do multiple <laughs> podcasts, but I'll, I'll, I'll just try to, to keep the, I feel like the most relevant parts and you can rein me in if I'm going down a wormhole. Brilliant. So yes, for the last 15 years, my wife Brock and I ran Animate Objects Productions and in the very last stages of it, we were actually full event design. Um, I also have a background in lighting design. So I was doing lighting design and Brock was DJing and we did full event design, but the, that was just the last two years of it. Before that, it was entertainment focused and what type of entertainment was kind of a mixture of dance and circus because my original entry into the performing world after a couple of years of competitive roller skating was dancing. So I grew up as a dancer and, um, the, the competitive, I, I, was like, I really <laughs> don't want to let that slide, but I want to look at time and be focused on us. But like, exactly. we'll talk, we'll talk about that another time. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that'll be in the um, Patreon special. Ooh, the rollerblading okay, yes. pro. Okay. But anyway, yeah. Roller skating. Cause I'm roller skating. I, quad quad. Yeah. Right, 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 right. With toe stops. Theory. So, um, I grew up as a dancer and went to like a magnet art school for dance and then went to, um, I have a BFA in dance from new world school of the arts in Miami, which was a real like conservatory, traditional Martha Graham, Jose Limon, modern yes. dance and ballet. And, um, but I was a free spirit and I didn't want to do the traditional stuff. And so I was always seeking out like my version of how I wanted to be an artist and a performer and a dancer. And 
let's see, winding path. At some point I found myself in South America and I was like traveling with this group that was kind of like a save the earth circus. They had a circus tent and a school bus and traveled through South America and did shows for kids teaching um, about recycling and permaculture and things like that with circus. So that's actually where I started learning circus. Then I came back to the States and uh, went back to Miami. And at that point, um, there was a new art center in Miami that was opening. And so Wiseful New Mexico was there and David Clarkson from Australia was there. And they were helping get this whole teacher training program off the ground where we would teach circus to all these different community centers throughout Miami and then put on shows together. And so that was like my introduction was perfect for me, but my introduction to circus was already about teaching and producing it Yeah, because um, I've always been a producer in addition to a performer. So that kind of brought me into circus. But from, from a very social mm-hmm. uh, bent, like Amy Christian from Wise yes. School, who's been on this podcast before, I will include the episode number, but, but very like... Uh, anyway, rooted in like the social circus world, which I think is super cool. It was a fabulous program and it was partnered with the Performing Arts Center. And so it huh. it helped me also work with the Performing Arts Center in producing shows. So around that same time was when I decided to start my own company. And at the time it was this hybrid of modern dance meets circus. So I was like blending my, when I was in college, I, I also left this part out when I was in college for like the classical traditional modern dance. I was also dancing on cruise ships as a showgirl on the weekend. And I took a year off from school to dance in a full-time contract at a dinner theater, the Fountain Blue Hilton in Miami. And so I had this like balance of showgirl and high theater or high art at the same time. And so that's kind of what Animate Objects was when I first started. It was like the entertainment because you've got like these circus skills, but then we did experimental dance, contemporary dance things. And then we did a lot of high profile shows. So I got a lot of commissions really, really soon after starting the company. I was doing grant writing and we did a bunch of high visibility rope and harness pieces on huge, huge landmark buildings around Miami. And yeah, front page of Miami Herald, like things like that. So high visibility. Yes, we love to see it. Yeah, I was so new. I was such a newbie. Like, oh my gosh, that was like one year into starting my company. And then all these event planners started calling us because they wanted that at their events. So that was kind of like how I got into event planning or the event world because after producing, self-producing for a couple of years, I even ran an aerial studio and produced an aerial festival, the Snowbird Winter Aerial Aerial Arts Festival back in the day. The event work really excited me because I didn't have to sell tickets. I didn't have to rent the theater. I didn't have to market. I didn't have to come up with the concept. Like that was very freeing for me, for somebody to be like, oh, this is the theme. And I just created. Like for me, doing the event work was actually freeing for my creativity because I didn't have to manage I didn't have to fundraise. I had somebody that could just pay me. Oh, this is the amount to create this show. So that was kind of how, that was my segue of how I got into events. That's such a good point. And I feel like uh, it's something really cool to bring up for listeners because I feel like so many people want to be directors or want to, you know, like go the traditional, yeah, traditional, like sell tickets, be in a theater or be in a circus tent, travel around, like create the show, all of that. But some of the most interesting and obviously I haven't attended these events because they're in Saudi Arabia or India, or, but some of the most interesting events that I've seen visuals of from Cirque du Soleil or a lot like bigger companies have been these one-offs or Indian weddings or like very high budget events that may run three days and then never again. But because of the budget, you bring in directors and you bring in artists who are so creative and they have a concept, but what they do with it is just mind blowing. Um, and that's all event work, which is kind of what I, I mean. I'm obviously like taking it on like the Cirque du Soleil scale, but that's true in Miami as well, which is also a very moneyed city that I'm sure like culture out the wazoo and had a lot to offer. That's not a question. Absolutely. And then, but I'm going to piggyback off what you said about the big vision part because it's so true. And so, at some point after starting this whole company and doing all these things, I realized for life reasons I wanted to move across the country to Seattle. So I moved myself there. (laughs) The weather just wasn't good enough in Miami. Had to go to Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. But again, that's a whole other podcast. Love to love to do on why why we moved. But I so I moved out there and and I did decide to bring animate objects with me. And out there was actually when the company blossomed because of the tech mm. industry. So we got to do work for Amazon and Facebook and Google and Expedia and all the tech giants. They were a perfect audience for us because big budgets, but also they value creativity and innovation. So they wanted the big over the top crazy stuff. And they all compete with each other because the talent, like their workers will go from place to place to place. And they want to, they want to create cool company culture to keep the employees happy. So it's like their, their holiday parties were like keeping up with the Joneses. You know, if, if, if somebody hired us one year, then the next year, the other company had to hire us too and have a bigger budget, you know? So it was, it was a really great place to do big shit. Like I, I've always had huge, massive, massive visions and, um, that's dope. That was, that was our, so we did those big, huge, massive events. Most of ours were unfortunately just one day, but we'd get to load in and rehearse. And so at the end of the day, it could have been a three day thing, but the actual event was just, uh, you know, six hours and then it's over. And it sounds like you kind of had this out the gate. You, it sounds like within your first year of running in Miami, you were successful. And once you had proof of concept and moved to Seattle, you were able to kind of like get it going. Um, what, how would you say someone who wanted to start in events, like getting the capital, creating something financially sustainable? Um, what does that look like? Yes. And, um, it's not an easy answer because it's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, this is one of the things that we really were, were driven to help people do with Circus Boss. But from a from a simple mindset is like, it goes back to understanding the world that you want to be in. So if event work is important to you, you have to understand that you're not an artist, you're a service provider. And there are certain things that have to be in place. So, so one of the things we, we do something actually this, uh, free mini course that we've created called the circus freelancer gig pay guide that can help people start to understand how to price themselves. Oh, cool. Cause there's so much more than just figuring out what your friend is charging. Mm. There's like a lot of other considerations. So, um, in that, one of the things that we talk about is service value. So what is your level of service? Are you going for like upscale events, luxury events. Uh, let's say you're doing upscale and you have a really high-end act and you have really high-end costumes. But when, when somebody emails you and, and, you, and your website looks awesome, right? Someone emails you about your pricing and you just put your pricing in an email and it's like a sentence or, or a paragraph. It's not like a, a formal proposal, right? Well, in the business world, people are going to expect a formal proposal. So how do you, we teach people how to send a formal proposal. We teach people how to do digital online signature, how to do credit card processing. Like these are all things that if you do the high level artistry and you want to sell it to a high level client, you have to have the high level, you know, backend because that's the world that people live in. So even if your top, your act can be top notch and it can be the quality that can, you know, deserve the price that you're asking. But if you don't have the business pieces in place, people won't take you seriously because they'll think, oh, this person doesn't know business. Hmm. That's such a good point. Where can people get that free resource? Aha. Yes. Um, Circusboss.com slash gig pay guide. Love that. And you talk about marketing versus networking. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other piece of this is like, how do you even find the Amazons? How do you even find the Facebooks? How do you get that those connections go. Absolutely. And I love that you use the word connections because we really view it as relationship building because you're not selling a product. You actually have to be there and interact with this person for a long time throughout <laughs> the planning process, throughout the event, and then afterwards. So it's all about relationship building. So you have to have like your, what we call our network is like your structure. These are like the breadcrumbs that you put out in the world for people to find you. So that's your presence on social media and your website. And if you go to networking events, just where you kind of meet people, right? But then you want to turn those handshakes into relationships. So you want to have some way to draw them in so they can get to know a little bit more about you. So that could be through having them join your email list, That can be through doing more engagement strategies on social media where you're like tagging people and reaching out to them in DMs. But I do have to say, please don't send any cold 
DMs to people. I can't tell you how many times I get these like, hi, we're performers and here's our act. Hire us like straight up. No conversation. I don't know the person and they just drop it into my DM, usually on my other account, which we still have from our performance company, Animate Objects. Mm. And I'm like, I, I, I never would hire a person like that. But a better way to do that, if there's somebody that you want to work with, you get to know them, you follow them, you like them, you comment on their things, you build this relationship, you start an organic conversation, you comment on what they're doing, you compliment them. Then you can say, hey, if you're ever looking for entertainment, here's what we do. Boom. So no cold DMs. That's such a good point And such like a, I don't know, it's a real change because it's like back in the day, back in the day, day, like before I even hit the scene, I remember tales of people who were like, the way that you got work, the way you got your name out there was you put like your your press packet, which was like a videotape of your act or a CD of your act, you know, and like a letter and you just mailed it out to all the companies. And it's like and then that turned an email. But you're right, like in the digital world, everything because it's it's social has to feel a little bit more um, intimate and like connected. So it doesn't work anymore. Like sending someone the video of your act and just being like, hire us doesn't work anymore because that's not how the platforms work. We, you want to hire people who, you know, not just random. Absolutely. Acts and so like, let's say you're auditioning for somebody. So the, the first thing I say is, well, look at, do they teach any workshops? Because a lot of times a workshop is really an audition in disguise, right? You want to, what, what can you do to build a relationship with someone that you want to work with? If it's a smaller company, mm-hmm. you know, can you intern for them? Can you volunteer for them? Can you, you know, how can you start to be in their circle and show them you're enthusiastic and that the biggest thing is that you care about their success. If you as a performer want to work for somebody else, show that person that you care about their success and you want to help them thrive. It's not about you. <laughs> it's about them. How can you help them? So building, building those relationships. Um, there, there's one other, the final part when we're talking about event work, people aren't going to hire you for a one-off event. That's like some massive event the first time they've met you. Right. So you usually start with something small and you grow with them and then they, they trust you on a small event and then they're going to give you a large event. So the, the third part of our marketing is what we call our champion circle. And that's Mm. basically all the people that really get you and love you and, and fans that can refer you and your clients that you love and you want to do more work with. And those clients that have access to the clients, the big events that you want. Right. And you nurture these people. So just like you have to spend more time nurturing those champions because it's higher reward. You repeat clients, you get more work from. So you you want to remember their birthdays. Anytime you get free tickets to a show, you invite those people. Don't invite your friends. I love your friends. But if you're trying to really create relationships, give them box seats the next time you do a big show. You know, like we used to get VIP tickets to awards galas all the time. And so we would invite our champion circle. We invited a lot of our champions to our wedding. You start to build personal relationships with people that. Yeah. It's like treat them like they're humans that you want to be around. (laughs) Exactly. But we had a list. We, we full on had a list. And anytime, anytime you get free anything, we'd go down the list and be like, okay, let's invite so-and-so let's invite so-and-so, you know, and just showing them that you care about them as humans. It's public relations. Uh Aha. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you don't have to be fake when you're doing this also. Like if there's someone who you don't like, don't like find odious is abhorrent. Like obviously you're not going to invite them to your wedding or be their friend, but also you probably don't want to work with them professionally either. You know, so I don't think that this is like it sound it can sound kind of manipulative or smarmy, but it's actually just how people work. People hire people who they like on a personal level as well. Absolutely. No. And we were really strong in this. Like we didn't seek out and we even turned down some work because we didn't get along with the people. It's not like anything's wrong with a certain person. Everyone has different ways of working, different modes, different expectations, different styles, different energy. And it's about finding those people that you really click with. And we really teach, I'm not going to try to get too esoteric here, but we really teach business from this ecosystem of balancing the artistry and the relationships and sustainability. So relationships is going to be your marketing and then sustainability is the finances. And so back to the point of like, yes, you don't want to work with people that you don't get along with, 
Well, if you have your finances in place and working for you, that allows you to say no to work. Mm. And Mm -hmm. before I understood that, there were times that I didn't have my finances in order because this is a fluctuating income kind of reality. Like all the budgeting tips, everything that you look at online, again, doesn't speak to circus. It te- it's it's imagining you have a fixed income. And yes, you might have contract work, so you have a fixed income for that amount of time. But <laughs> the, the majority of it is fluctuating income. So my wife is the budgeting nerd and she's come up with all these awesome ways to deal with fluctuating incomes. But anyways, if you can learn how to budget and learn how to plan ahead for those dry spells, And just have your finances in order so that you can feel confident. So you can say no to that job, even if it's the thing that, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing. Like if it doesn't feel right and doesn't sit right and you don't want to have a relationship with this person, you can say no to it if you have your finances in order and you're, and you feel confident in that. That's such an amazing point. And the, the power of money, I think I like, I have such a complicated relationship with capitalism as a whole and just like how evil it can truly be, but how we're all kind of operating within the system. So how do you like live in the system, but not be slaves to the system? And I, and yeah, having your finances in order and having a little bit of a cushion in the bank is an excellent way to start. So I love that you brought that up. And I love that you just talked about capitalism because my wife and I talk about that a lot. And there's some things I really realized uh, after deciding to close. So during the pandemic, we actually decided to close our company. So we're no longer producing entertainment. Mm -hmm. We just are coaching and helping others. And in that process, like I, we realized like there's a lot of things that aren't our fault. Like if you can't make it, it's not your fault. And so this weekend, we were just like kind of jiving on some money mindset stuff. And we were looking at the phrase starving artist mentality. And yes, there's part of that is, is like wanting to make sure that artists know their value so they can charge what they're worth. Like that is a whole valid part of it. But I also looked at it from another way and realized on some level, that's actually victim blaming like as if it's the artist's fault that they're not thinking right. If they could just think right and get in the right mindset, then they wouldn't be starving anymore and they could make enough money. And it's like, no, actually it's our culture. It doesn't value the arts enough to put enough funding behind it so that it can be a valid career. So anyone out there that's like taking on that shame or blame of feeling like you're a starving artist and that's a bad thing. First of all, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And yes, there are things that you can do to like maneuver the system a little bit better, but please don't take on the blame or shame that you're starving because you're not good enough, right? Or you haven't figured out how to think right. The other part of this that I've been jiving on is it's a choice, right? Like if you choose to have less finances in your life, because that's the lifestyle you want and you want more artistic riches, then that's your choice. And that's valid too. So I want to change it to be called the thriving artist mentality. Oh, hey there. I just wanted to interrupt this interview real quick to just say one real quick little thing about myself, which is that I am not only the host of the Artist Athlete podcast. No, no, no. She is a businesswoman and I run a whole company dedicated to the education and inspiration of circus artists. That goes from people who are just doing it, weekend warriors as a hobbyist recreationally, or if you're a professional, you've put in the hours and you need more resources. Go to the artist athlete.com. There are a ton of recorded workshops, online manuals and eBooks, everything you could possibly need from me and from some guests on this show about everything from nutrition to training your shoulders to really specific aerial moves that you need to master. Again, theartistathlete.com. And just because you went there from listening to this podcast, use code podcast and get 15% off your entire purchase. That's right. Theartistathlete.com. Use code podcast at checkout for 15% off your entire purchase and have a great day. Back to the episode. I remember my brother once said to me and I like, I knocked me over, but this specific thing he said, I was just like, I, I carry it with me all the time. He said that it used to be that wealth was not determined by how much money you have in the bank, but by how 
how much free time you had, mm. which to me, I kind of registers how much I can dictate where I put my time and energy. Mm. Mm-hmm rather than someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, the way I interpret like a thriving artist is maybe I am not meeting my financial potential or something, but I have so much time and freedom and I have things that I have made and stuff that I have done and can do that nobody, like if if I sought financial gains, that wouldn't be possible. Yeah, so we we teach a lot and talk a lot about money, not because that's the end goal. Uh, It's just because we want to make sure that people don't so that the money doesn't master them that they can be the master of their money, right? And that money is a tool to help you do what you want to do in life. And if you don't take the time to understand it and have it work for you, then it actually can keep you from achieving your dreams and doing what you want to do. So it's, it's unfortunately here. And it's how we, you know, deal with, uh, I don't know, capitalism. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's how we have to function it's inside of it. That's it's, sure. it's what we trade. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Instead of trading little pretty shells, we trade money. And, but also another thing that's been revelatory to me over the years, as I have gone along and created a business and like this trope that artists are bad at money. Mm. What I kind of realized is that like, a lot of people are bad at money. Yes. Yes. Like it's not <laughs> right. Like an artist get the like brunt of it for some reason. Like, no, what's... that's really good. And I, I think, I don't think I've ever fully like thought about that. I've noticed it in, in like, you know, we do a lot of ton of market research and things. So yes, all of these issues that people have around not knowing how to manage their money is universal. It's not just with artists. But I think if you're living a job where you have a large income, you can be more frivolous with your money and it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt as much. It doesn't, you know, um, show as much. So I think, yeah, like I, I used to think like my dad didn't teach me about money. Like somebody, you know, everyone else's dad taught them about money. Like, and why was it my dad? I don't know. Not my mom. But anyways, (laughs) I feel like I was personally missing out on something that everybody else knew. And you're right. Like the later in life you realize like, no, people just aren't taught this and aren't taught. Like we, I'll just share a few resources that we really love. There's a book called Profit First. So we base a lot of our models around Profit First. And that means that as a business owner, you're setting aside your profit first. Because when you when you do like a profit and loss statement, it's your income minus your expenses equals your profit. Well, why is profit just what's left over at the end? Why can't we plan ahead for it? So this one says you take out, you have your income, you take out your profit first, then you have your expenses. So anyways, it's a mindset shift and budgeting thing. And then another thing we use is a tool called YNAB. It's you need a budget, Y-N-A-B. And it teaches zero, I'm going to say it wrong, zero, zero based budgeting. No, there's a specific word for it, but it's, I don't know. (laughs) You, you, you do also what's called forward funding. So we have accounts and we say, oh, we need to spend this much on all these things this month. And you like sack the money away. It's like putting money in shoeboxes, right? And when Mm. you have that all filth the month, you start filling up next month. And so we're always two months ahead with specific expenses. It's not like, oh, I need to have uh, this amount in my bank account, which is what I was always taught, you know, have three to six months of savings in case of unforeseen circumstances. But now that we know there's a (laughs) pandemic, let's push it out to have a year (sighs) of living expenses, but to actually specifically earmark each dollar, oh, this is going to pay my rent. This is going to pay my groceries. This is going to pay. And so you fully funded a month, then you start going to the next month and then the next wow. month. So now you're like, okay, cool. I have a contract for six, six months. I now know that after those six months, I have a couple of months fully funded plus my emergency savings. So I'm cool to float for a little while while I look for the next job. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that there was gives a lot the... of details there. That was a lot. Yeah. I'm a little overwhelmed <laughs> by it. Sorry. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, I kind of work that way. I, I'm a reverse budgeter. So I allocate all my expenses and then just have whatever's left. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where I, I, I like, so I'm not that that's just what works for me, but I don't want to get too big into the financial stuff, but it sounds like it, Circus Boss has a lot of resources on it. So it's really cool that you provide that. 
Yeah, because there's so much. Like there's it's there's all so an much. ecosystem. There's so much that is a part of being a performer. You think when you start out, oh, I'm just gonna like perform, or I'm just gonna train and do these cool things, and then then you, oh, I can now I can perform, and then you're gonna perform, and then you before you know it, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business person, and like I I even I have a BFA in dance. I didn't learn the first thing about business in school. Like, and I know they're not teaching business. You might learn how to do a portfolio and how to audition and those important skills, but are you really learning how to be a business person, how to be an entrepreneur? No, that's such a good point. And I just want to emphasize, like, that's true for anybody, anyone. If you graduate from the National Circus School in Montreal, you have to be a business person and because yes. your email is going to look the same or different as you know, someone who did not graduate from the school and has equal amount of talent or less or less skills, you know, but if they have something that speaks the business language, like that's ultimately what's going to determine a career, not just a talent or a skill set. I feel like I've done a lot of <laughs> clarifying for you <laughs> in this interview. Um, no, I appreciate that because I'm the big picture person, right? I'm the chief inspiration officer. And I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm really big picture and I, I rely on systems to rein me in. And so like all of our courses have like formulas and we have these like calculators that we build and we have like a step, step one, step two, step three, like, because it's, uh, it's hard for me to talk about all of this because it's really a, an ecosystem of every single day. Like today I dealt with business because I had to update some of my links that I wanted to be able to share on the podcast. And so I spent on morning trying to figure out tech stuff and doing, reaching out in a group that I'm in of other business owners and asking, does anyone know how to make a sh shorten my URL for blah, 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 blah. You know, like it's every day you have these little business things that come up and there's, it's not like one and done. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I don't know the point of that one, but no, 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 no. It's such a good point. It's ongoing. It's just as much as like your training in the studio, just as much as your artistic endeavors, like the business aspect, which I feel like, like each time we say this, I'm like, oh, business, it's a scary word, but it's really just like the, the part of it that gets you the work. I don't know. Like how, like, how can we frame business, I guess, or how do you frame business for artists? That's a great point. So just like you need to learn how to do a hollow body correctly, just like you need to have proper form while you're hanging to do the more advanced skills, the business is just the ABCs. It's the technique. It's, you know, maybe it involves doing drills every day of like reaching out to specific people, or maybe it means like having the technique of like, what's your email template that you can use over and over because you've crafted it once and now you're done. Like it's, it's just the ABCs. It's what helps you get to where you want to be. It helps you or it can work against you. So just like a coach can realize that you're not using your muscles efficiently and you're actually, this I see a lot, you know, you can, you can see if you're coaching someone, you can see how they they're fighting against themselves, but they don't realize it. They might be using the wrong muscular engagement or putting the wrong emphasis or, and so all they need is a coach to be like, Oh, Hey, engage here. Uh, yeah, totally here and send your energy in this direction instead of that direction, or wait a little bit longer before you snap it. And you know, those, those like little things, it's, that's what business is. Yeah. It's just learning how to do what you want to do more efficient, get your ducks in a row and learn to speak the language of the people that you want to work with. So if that makes business sound a little bit less scary, it's just a technique. It's not, it's a technique to get us to where we want to do and do those cool big things. Um, you mentioned before that you would have performers slide into your DMs with videos and how yes. like from a networking, from a connections, from a human perspective, maybe that's not such a great way to go about trying to get a job with an event company. Um, what other things, uh, people who are listening to this, who want to be performers or are performers or interested really in any kind of networking or getting a job, what are other like do's and don'ts? Absolutely. So one of the things that I applied to grant writing, and this also works great when you're doing a cover letter, is figure out your keywords. So let's say I want to apply to work for the artist athlete. I'm going to go on your webpage 
And I'm going to look at your why, your mission, like what is Shannon McKenna about? And then I'm going to take out and I'm going to take a little Word document and I'm going to go through and say, what are the keywords that she uses that feel like what's important to her and what she's doing? And I put them in a little document. Um, and then when I sit down to write, let's say I'm going to write my cover letter, I'm going to make sure those keywords are in there. And I've had people do this to me. Oh, that's so smart. Well, and it's, it's what I do with grant writing all the time, because the honesty is, can, can you tell me in this moment, do you remember what's on your webpage? Well, as you're saying that, I was like, how could someone 100% work for me? And it's like, if they sent me a bag of potato chips ah. that were like <laughs> a flavor of potato <laughs> chips that like I'd never had before. That's how I would really know that someone was like a ride or die and like into what I was doing. Does your website talk about potato chips? Yeah. It it does have in the contact section See? that the artist athlete and Shannon McKenna accepts potato exactly. chips of all flavors. Please send them to So that's paying attention, like doing the research, like what does <laughs> yeah, Shannon yeah, exactly. like, right? Um, so yeah, so but, but keywords, because the, the point is you might not remember all the words that are on your website. You remember the potato chips, that's good. Mm -hmm. But you might not remember all the words. <laughs> so let's say you get a letter from me and all of a sudden I'm using words that you have used to talk about what you're doing. You may forget that and be like, wow, this person's really in alignment with what I want to do because you don't even realize they're using mm. your words. And I've had people do this to me and I knew that they were doing it. I could see that they were using our words and it made me still be impressed because I was like, see, they took the time to show me that they actually, they did the research. So if you're doing a cover letter for someone Start out by praising the person that you want to work for. Tell them why you believe that you like why you want to work with them, why they're awesome and, and why you can help them further their mission and help them succeed. And then how what you're going to bring to the company. So what's unique about you? What yes, you're a performer, but what what benefit does it bring? What's in it for them is a is a big marketing term. So you always have to like get outside yourself. Yes say why your skills and, and what you do is awesome and unique, but also how is it going to help the person? So that's a one of the biggest tips, this, this keyword. I do it with grant writing too. You look at the person, the organization that's supplying the grant and you just so smart. make your list of keywords and make sure every single one of them is in your cover letter or in your, your description of your grant. So that's one tip. Nice. Any other don'ts? A don't. Okay. Let's see. Well, don't be friendly, even if you know the person. Oh, interesting. I used to get uh, voice messages. Hey, I heard you're like the greatest in doing corporate events. I wanted to talk about how to get gigs. Oh. And first of all, it's a phone call. So that's hard to call back. It's hard to re return. So I, I, I personally don't recommend phone calls. I always like email and you can give the option, give your phone number there. Um, but it, don't be too friendly because in my opinion, you want to share that you respect that this is a business and that this will be a business relationship. Then once you start working with a person, you let them set the tone of how friendly they want to be and always, and always follow that. How do you work with pricing? This is a very, I can't believe I've waited 44. And if you think of other do's or don'ts, yeah. let me know. But I can't believe I've waited till 44 minutes into this interview to talk about the thing that I feel like tears aerial communities apart, that circus is constantly like under the, especially in the U.S., but I think everywhere, this idea of like setting your rates and undercutting people and all of that whole community of blah, like, what are your thoughts on that, Eileen? Yes. So my first thought is that everybody comes at it from a different perspective. Everyone has a different opinion okay. and they're all valid. That's the thing of why it's so hard to talk about it because some people are viewing it from this is how much money that I need. They've done the numbers for their personal situation. This is how much money I need to make right? And then other people are like coming at it. Well, I've been performing longer than other people. So I deserve to make more. There's so many ways to look at pricing. So, and there's also like the standard in the industry of like, this is what these people get paid. Well, and then, but see within the industry, there's also different levels of service. So somebody that's mm. performing at a country fair, like a county fair is going to charge different and also provide a different level of service than the person that's doing a private event for Russell Wilson and Sierra, uh, some other celebrity, Jeff Bezos has that. Great. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so it, it goes back to, so, so we, we, we take people through all these different ways. So that's why we did this whole course because I could never respond to these Facebook 
discussions about pricing in one little comment bubble. And it's also why I'm like having a hard time to describe it here because I, we literally totally. take people through all these steps. So we look at like, if you were to charge a day rate or a minimum of, so you look at there's 52 weeks in a year and how many weeks do I want off for vacation and, and how many, how many events can I actually physically do per year? and what, how much do I want to make per year? So that's like the mathematical approach approach. And then we go through, well, are you profitable with your business? Are you covering your operating expenses? So looking at, are you saving money for taxes and building that into your rate? Cause you can't just make an emotional, Oh, I, I should charge this much cause I want to get the gig. And then the end of the year, the taxes come and Whoa, scary, right? So you've got to be building that in from the beginning. And then there's the service value of like, well, do I want to be having a response, a 24 hour response time to clients on the phone? Do I want to be sending emails to clients? Do I want to be that attentive? If you're doing a higher end event and charging a higher price, then you need to have those things too. And the credit card processing. And so, and then also what skills are you doing? And are you working, are you booking directly with a client versus are you having an entertainment company or an agency hire you? So that's another way you're going to charge different prices. So there's a lot to look at. And then the final one is the, the unique value of like, well, how, what, what unique offering or unique skill do you bring that then deserves a higher rate than someone else? So what, what makes you the most valuable player on the team? I love that point though. And I love the way you answered that because I feel like oftentimes the question is always distilled into like, what's the rate for one con or one gig, you know? And it's, mm -hmm. if you want to career this, if you want to circus full time, you have to think over the course of a year, you have to think big picture. You have to think in the ways that Eileen is talking about where it's, well, how many events can I do a year? How does this all fit in? Um, I love that. I love that response. I thought it was, I'm here for it. Well, in protecting the industry, you don't want to start out. So maybe when you're young and you don't have a lot of expenses, you can charge a lower rate. But then what if then that creates the expectation that that's the value, that's how much that service costs. And then when you're older and you want to have a kid and you want to drive a car and not just take the bus everywhere, like now you can't afford that lifestyle because the rates are, are so low. Mm -hmm. So you can't think about it. You have to think about the elders in the community and respect that there are people that are doing this as their full-time job and have been for years. So one other part of the market rates too, though, is yes, you do need to find out what people are charging, but also we, so we offer templates to do this too. Uh, so it's not so awkward. So you know how to ask these questions, but also looking at other people in the industry. So if you're doing event work, finding out what the DJ is charging, finding out what the photo booth charge, finding out what musicians charge, finding out what the magician is charging, because it's my experience across the board, circus artists are charging too little. When you look at the full event budgets and what event planners are used to paying for other services that are less dangerous, take less time to prepare for, and leave less of an impact on the audience's mind, like we're, we're not charging enough. I know what the budgets are and I know how much other people charge. And so that's also part of our mission with this is not just to teach people how to set their rate, but to really help people understand, like, we're not charging enough in the mm. event industry. Oh, my gosh. Eileen, thank you so much for coming on today. I feel like my mind has been expanded. Circusboss.com is the place to go for it. Yes. All? All the rest of it? Yes, circusboss.com. We have a membership program too called the Green Room. Okay. Because like I said, this is an ecosystem. It's not a one and done. So we take people through all the necessary things to set up their business and then provide ongoing support, mastermind calls and Q&A calls to kind of help you with these daily struggles as they come up. And now that we're, you know, emerging from COVID, I think, uh, and the event, re the event world and, and performing is returning. Um, we're really looking forward to helping more artists with that, but then also circusboss.com slash gig pay guide is where you can try the circus freelancer gig pay guide. And it's a free course. So you can look at different ways of setting your rates. The other thing that why this is so important is especially in the gig world, we set our rates. Like when you're going to work for a show, there's a budget and they're setting the rates, right? But it's up to us as circus artists to define what our worth is in the events industry because there's no one else that's going to do it. Event planners don't start out with a budget and that's the only thing that it can be. We have to set the value. It's about us setting our rates. So 
I'm, I'm on this mission to really, for people that are doing gig work to understand, like, it's up to us to maintain the integrity of our value and our worth in the events industry. Bravo. Here for it. What advice would you give to yourself at the beginning of your career? I've thought about this question because I've listened to your podcast. I love what you're doing. And I've heard you ask this of other people. And honestly, it's there's so much. There's so much. And that's, again, I hate to sound like a broken record or like I'm trying to overpitch my business. But that's why we started Circus Boss, too, because every single step along the way, I'm like, crap, if I had only known that a year ago. And now it's like, oh, if I had only known that 15 years ago. So I think to sum it up, the biggest thing is to learn how to view things from somebody else's perspective. Because like, so I was a dancer and I didn't know how to be a good dancer or how to be helpful until I was a choreographer or a teacher, right? Like, you know, when you're, when you're a teacher, you know, like, oh, okay, I want to help the student in this way, but what they're doing is not allowing me to teach them. So like as a student, I resisted sometimes what teachers were teaching me because I thought they were teaching me how to do something like the way to do something, but they were teaching me their way to do something. And so as a student, it was my job to study with many, many different teachers so I could learn all of their different ways and then ultimately create my own way. So the advice that you would give yourself is study with a lot of different people. Study with a lot of different people, but then also the, the, the perspective of like, when, when you're, I understood as an event planner, what I needed to be a better service provider for event planners. Like when you're on the other side of it, you can understand it better. So if you can't fill all those roles yourself, then at least get to know people that are in those roles so that you can start to ask them questions so that you're not just viewing everything you're doing from your perspective as the artist. You can, how, how, how am I going to be helping other people? What are their needs? What what do they need? How can I help them? Uh, Do you think that someone could be an event planner or do this kind of work without first being a performer? Event planner? Um, Oh, absolutely. Maybe in the way that you're for circus or for, because (sighs) this is a very long rant, but um, bring it, bring it. Event planners. When I send in my specs or when I spent like my, you know, what I need for my rigging, what I need for all of those, my tech sheets, um, Rarely do I show up in the like the joke. I always make the joke that like when I'm on when I'm on Tinder or something, everyone every man who says he's six feet is five seven, and um, every event planner who tells me they have a twenty foot ceiling has a fifteen foot ceiling. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I'm interested to know, like, as you're talking about this understanding that as you're going, you know, that you can teach event planners because you've been an event planner. Do you think that it's helpful from the beginning to like, or what in your career as a dancer helped you with your event planning? Yes. So coming into event planning, and when I'm talking about event planning, I'm, I'm not talking about just running an entertainment company. We're going really big, like doing the floor plans and the layouts and all of that. Yes. So being a dancer and then a circus artist actually prepared me for being an event planner because we actually teach event planners too in our other business now. And But even before then, we used to teach at workshops. I taught a class to event planners called Choreographic Tools, uh, or I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it's basically applying choreography to event design, thinking about the flow of your guests, thinking about the spatial patterns that you're creating at an event and what energy that creates and what experience. So if you're, if you're cramming people into a space, how are they going to feel? Um, and then also, you know, if you're doing a wide open space, do you want to have direct focus or indirect focus? What, what, you know, like there's applying choreography to the flow of the guests is important. And then also obviously the whole the whole event is a backdrop. It's a stage. It's a, it's an experience. And how can it evolve and change just like you want a show to a performance as a beginning, a middle and end. And what's the transformation. So all of those things that is actually harder for event designers and event planners, because if they don't have the theater teaches you that to dance circus. Yeah, totally. So, so it, if, you're interested in getting into event planning, there's a whole other side that you have to learn. Like I did training at a place called Event Leadership Institute, and they teach you the ins and outs of event design. But the fundamental like understanding of flow and experience 
mm-hmm. as a performer, you've got that. You've got that. But to your point of like how to communicate with event planners. So, you know, um, I'm all about efficiency. And so we, we advise performers to keep a running list of those questions and those misunderstandings as they come up and then prepare materials to proactively prevent them from happening in the future. So you can have an FAQ on your website. You can actually, I talked with somebody about making a video. So if you have like a freestanding aerial rig, and like people learn through scene and, and, and video, just do a quick, you know, do a um, time lapse next time you're building it somewhere. So smart. Right. And then give them the specs of how long it takes and what the height needs are. And, you know, like you have to give them more information, but in a way that's not going to give spend more time. So just keep keep a running list of all those things that keep coming up that you're like, oh, they're not understanding me. <laughs> and then find out, well, how can how, what what can I do a video? Can I do an email template? Can I put something on my website so that you're not answering the same things over and over? That's so good. Come on, systems. Eileen Reynolds, thank you so much. Circus Boss is the place to go. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. I feel like I could talk to you forever. This was I awesome. Know, me too. And I'm thank so excited. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh my God. Thank you for what you're doing. So cool. That was my interview with Eileen Reynolds of Circus Boss. Eileen Reynolds did a fabulous job of explaining an aspect of the industry that I think a lot of people don't really know about. It's funny, a lot, I remember there was a particular time in my career where people would be like, where can we come see you perform? Where, where are you doing your show next? And at the time I was doing a lot of these kinds of corporate events, these gigs, so we call them. And so they were really events that weren't centered around the entertainment per se, or the art per se. They were uh, employee appreciation dinners or holiday dinners for companies or other things. And as a result, they weren't really open to the public. And as a result, not a lot of people, unless you were like in one of these companies, got a lot of exposure to this kind of work. And what I think is interesting about what Eileen raised in this is if you're producing this kind of work, if you're an event creator, you have a, actually a kind of cool kind of freedom. We always think that like if you're working for corporate people, then you are underneath their thumb and you have to do exactly what they say. But actually, Eileen says that she could be more creative when she was making these events because she had a budget. She didn't have to fundraise. And next week we'll talk to a uh, producers who actually create like works of art and have their own circus theater company. And they absolutely do fundraise. But in Eileen's world, she didn't have to gather the money. She just had to she had a budget that was given to her by these corporations who were hiring her. And then she made the event and pitched her ideas and did all of this. And there's a certain freedom in that that I think a lot of times seems kind of counterintuitive because you feel like you're under corporate thumbs. But with a corporate thumb comes a lot of corporate money being held in that thumb. So that was the first kind of uh, mind altering thing that came through to me in this interview. Eileen talks about how being a business owner is a creative endeavor in and of itself. She says, not only did I have to use my creativity to create works of art, she had to use her creativity to create a business model. She didn't have anyone guiding her. And I think that that's really interesting. I think that this is a discussion that happens all the time. I hear it. You're undercutting me. This industry isn't what it used to be. How do we know how to value things? And it's because we're all just kind of making it up as we go along. There's There are industry standards, but within different aspects of the industry, those standards change. So how do you know how much to charge? How do you know how much to budget? All of these are great questions, and Eileen talks a lot about her freelancer price guide, How to Price Yourself, and I will put that link in the show notes. What I thought was interesting about that is even if you know your value, even if you know all of that, if you, it's not even about how much you ask for, but the way you ask for it. People who work for Amazon, people who work for Facebook are used to a certain kind of language. They're used to having budget proposals done in a certain kind of way. And circus schools don't really teach us that. So having something like Circus Boss, which is, I haven't 
full disclosure, use the platform at all ever. But what Eileen and her wife are setting up is this amazing resource where you could go and learn all of this, how to balance a budget, how to do all these seemingly scary things in pursuit of your art, which I think is super cool. And then the last point I want to make before I wrap it up is something that has lived rent-free in my head. First, since I interviewed Eileen, and then because this interview sat on ice for a while, I kind of forgot about it. And then listening back to it, I was like, damn, this is really true. And it's that it's not your fault. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> this saying, it just kept echoing in my head because even though we're talking about business and we're talking about money and we're talking about all these things, I am very much um, <laughs> both a capitalist and an anti-capitalist. And unfortunately, in a capitalist society, there are a lot of things, well, in our capitalist society, because of the values, the culture is not set up to value the arts. And so in the business of art, there are certain Mm, how do I, hurdles, there are certain boundaries, there are certain inevitabilities and impossibilities that are not your fault. So if you have tried to start a business in circus, if you tried to open a studio, if you tried to make it as a, a freelance performer and you still have a nine to five and you feel like you're failing in some way, I want to tell you that you may be doing everything right. You may be doing everything in your power and we simply have a system that kind of sucks and doesn't support artists very well. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of luck to be successful. Um, I know that that's <laughs> in some ways, hopefully a little empowering and also a little bleak, but I do think that the more resources, I mean, by listening to this podcast, by going to Circus Boss, by like networking, by doing these things that give you more information, you are getting a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, it takes doing a little bit more than everything, a little bit more than right to really succeed. And if you feel like frustrated up until this point, you just need to know that you're not doing anything wrong and it's not your fault and keep going because you will find some success in however you define that word eventually. I know it. To get all the cool information that Eileen Circus Boss put out all the time, Eileen and Brock, I should include Brock, no wife erasure here, um, you can go to circusboss.com and you can also follow them on Instagram, they're Circus Boss Official, all one word, no other hyphenates or underscores or anything like that. For aerial tips and inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram. I do have some underscores. I'm at the underscore artist underscore athlete. My website is theartistathlete.com. No underscores in that one. I am on Facebook, The Artist Athlete. I'm on TikTok, The Artist Athlete. And if you love what you're listening to and you want to talk to me, IRL, well, not really in real life on Zoom, but like the closest to IRL you can kind of get in this world. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash theartistathlete. You get a ton of good swag and stuff, and um, you help promote this podcast. That's all from me. Talk at you next week, friends, fans, and foes. So there you have it. That was my time being a guest on the Artist Athlete Podcast. If you're not already following the Artist Athlete Podcast by Shannon McKenna, you should definitely hit subscribe, hit follow, enjoy what she is up to. And here on the Circus Boss podcast, we have a few more guest episodes lined up for the rest of the year and a few other personal, like, Eileen get on her soapbox kind of podcasts. Thank you for tuning in as always, and be sure to like, subscribe, give us a review, tell your friends, shout it out across the mountaintops, because we'd love to get it in the ears of more listeners like you. Thanks for tuning in every week, and uh, we'll see you soon. Keep being a circus boss. <laughs>